Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to another great week on the Church Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Jason Day, and I had the opportunity to connect with Ken Boa. Ken is the president of Reflection Ministries, having earned doctorate degrees from both New York University and Oxford in England. Ken has dedicated his life to communicating, championing, and teaching ministry practices for relational evangelism and discipleship. Ken has authored over 80 books and has been awarded three gold medallion book awards. His latest book is entitled Shaped by Suffering and is available now from InterVarsity Press. On this week's episode, Ken and I talk about how we as ministry leaders can help people through their suffering. Ken shares the four whys that people often ask when facing challenging times, and he also helps us process through two key questions we can ask our people to help them with their perspective as they encounter adversity. These are very helpful insights, so let's dive right into my conversation with Ken Boa. Ken, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. So good to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be uh, joining you. Excellent. Now, Ken, we are going to um, tackle a topic that you have spent a lot of time um, prayerfully researching and writing about. In fact, uh, your newest book is entitled Shaped by Suffering. And you and your co-author, Jenny Abel, put this book together. And suffering is one of those topics that, um, you know, doesn't make the top of the list as to, you know, what we want to spend Uh our days um, thinking about or experiencing personally. And yet suffering is uh, a very important topic because it touches every single person on the planet, no matter where you live, no matter, um, you know, what your what your background, everyone faces suffering to some degree at some point in their life. And so the first question I want to ask is, uh, what what prompted you guys to to tackle this particular topic? Yes, this is not something that I really intended to do. In fact, it turns out that this uh, Shaped by Suffering, and the subtitle is How Temporal Hardships Are Preparing Us for Our Eternal Home, is really the third of a trilogy of what I call an eternal perspective trilogy. So what prompted this particular book with my teaching uh, through First Peter, which is really the Job of the New Testament insofar as all five chapters allude to suffering, and it's beautifully summarized at the end of First Peter in First Peter 5.10 when he says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So I proposed, in fact, the title, After You've Suffered for a Little While, uh, because there's two profound truths there. It's not if, it's it's after. So mm. suffering is not an, op- an elective in the university of life. It's a required course. No one escapes. And at the same time, though, for a while, just a momentary light affliction producing us for us in an eternal weight of glory. Or as Paul says in Romans 8, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy or even compared to the glory to be revealed to us. So that is really what prompted this. But really, there were two prior books that, talk, uh, that speak on this whole concept of an eternal perspective in this temporal arena, without which we will not be able to navigate through the shoals of suffering and adversity and affliction with wisdom. Yeah, that's that, that's good. Now, Ken, one of the things that you you touch on, and one of the things that, that we just know as, as mystery leaders from Scripture, is 
you know, we'll, re- we'll read a passage and it, it speaks of this joy in suffering. Um, and, and yet those two things don't seem to connect, right? This idea of joy and this idea of suffering seem to be at, you know, kind of opposite extremes of the spectrum. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, the, the idea of joy in suffering? Yes. In fact, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind are there are two texts of Scripture that are remarkably similar in their nature. First of them is Romans chapter 5, when he, in verse uh, uh, 5, he talks, about, he talks about this whole theme here. Let me make sure I've got the right text in front of me, because he was describing how um, there is this joy that we can have in the midst of our adversities. So he says, not only this, and it's really verse 3 to 5. But we also exult, or joy, you could say, in our tribulations. Why? Not because we're spiritual masochists. We don't like the pain. <laughs> but knowing what the pain produces. So pain always has a purpose. And so tribulation brings about perseverance. And then he says perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. So he's looking at the outcome. And then James does the very same thing. It's um astonishing how similar the two texts are. So the first of all, the Romans 1, uh, rather Romans 5 and verses 3 through 5 text is very, very clear about that. And then the James 1 is almost saying precisely the same thing. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, whereas Paul says, um, I re- therefore I rejoice in my tribulations. And he says, knowing that this, he, James says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that word perfect is being used of, of, of becoming uh, mature and complete, becoming who in uh, essentially our practice or call in, the, in this earth soul-forming world is to become in our practice who we, are, who we already are in our position, seated with Christ in the heavenly places, so that this is a soul-forming world. We're not here for comfort. God's far more concerned about our character than our comfort, about our, our holiness than about our happiness. And so that's really what we are here for, to become conformed to the image of his Son. Now, let, let's talk from the perspective of a ministry leader, because all, all of what you said, obviously we, we read in Scripture, and um, when you're not in the middle of suffering— it's easier to read those passages, right, Kim? Yeah. It's easier to read them and be like, oh, sure. right? But whenever, as a, as a ministry leader, as a pastor, and we're talking with someone in our church who's going through, you know, some, some devastating loss or some real suffering, how do you recommend, you know, from a pastoral perspective, we can help them navigate that, yes, yes, yes. right? Yes, I want to make it appealing, attractive. And so one thing I will often say is that we are no longer defined by the pain of our bounded past, but by the joy of our unbounded future. So that is, if we can get people to grasp that idea that it is our unbounded future, that we are pilgrims, sojourners, wayfarers, strangers, aliens, and exiles. Look at all the metaphors that are being used of the brevity of our earthbound sojourn. And it is one in which we are called then to become more and more conformed into the image of his son. In other words, I like to say it this way, God redeems what he allows. Yeah, 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 that's good. So what what if someone is kind of wrestling through this idea of suffering mm-hmm. and they say, okay, I believe that down the road, um, you know, there's there's a hope, you know, that down the road that God is going to redeem this situation, but they just are wrestling with the fact as to why 
why does this suffering exist? Why do I have to go through this? Why does humankind, as you mentioned, uh, all of us experience suffering? Um, when, when they wrestle with some of those questions, how can we um, respond in a way that um, honors them and what they're, you know, respects what they're going through, but also points them to, you know, God? Yes, it comes down to there are various whys we can ask. There's the why of of, uh, of of grumbling, which says, why are you allowing this to even happen to me? And this is, <laughs> I'm sorry to say, that's the most common why. Right, it? right. Stop and think about it. Uh, of all the whys, that's the one you're going to hit most frequently. But then there's also another why, and it's, um, the, it's, a, it's in fact, I have these little spir- spiritual uh, uh, renewal cards, and uh, I call them the four whys of pain. So that's the most common one. And it does, it's not helpful because it assumes there can't be any good reasons for this diverse adversity. But actually, what what we're going to encounter in the household of faith will be more likely the why of grief, which isn't claiming that there is no hope, there is no purpose, but I don't get it. And so mm. that's what I see in the Psalms of Lament. Mm. And it's an honest expression of the emotions associated with pain. It doesn't imply that God doesn't care or that there's no meaningful purpose, but rather that that grief is very real indeed. And so that's why the Psalms are set to, set to music, because they bring us below the waterline into the realm of our affections, our emotions. And so they cut deeply into the into that dynamic that there's much that's rolling around that we don't understand. And so what I love about the Psalms is their honesty with wrestling with God instead of complaining indirectly. They're wrestling with him directly, and it's wisdom in doing so. But then there's another why, um, besides the why of grumbling and the why of grief. The third why is the why of, gui- why of guidance. Now, this is more helpful mm. because it turns the question, why is this happening to me, into the question, what is the Lord teaching me in this experience? Mm. In other words, it, it transforms the why into a what and openly invites God to change us rather than to change our circumstances. Now, that's a very profound and risky prayer, but the risk is ultimately going to be Am I trusting God or not at the end of the day? So there's a a third out of the four whys of pain. If you want, I'll give you the fourth one. I probably uh, might as well finish it up because this one's the least common. I call it the why of gratitude. So if the first was grumbling and the second was grief and the third was guidance, this one's the most uncommon, but it is the most beneficial. That's to say this, that um, when we are, whether we're going through a trial or not, Um, The question, why have you been so good to me, is a clear acknowledgement of God's compassion and grace and loving kindness in our lives. This is the why of amazement. I'm affirming that all that I am and have is gift and grace. In other words, let's turn that around instead of looking at the pain. Let us look at the blessings and the joys. And so now defined by a a greater vision, a more promising vision, in fact, a future, as what I said before, the joy of my under, unbounded future, that I am a pilgrim, a sojourner, a wayfarer, and a stranger, and an alien in exile. And I am here for a reason, and that God's preparing me for the, for the next realm. And that, is, that gives me a, a, per, a perspective, a comfort, an understanding um, that is um, very um, powerful, very rich, and very rewarding. So it's the point of view, that is to say, do I have an eternal perspective or not? Mm. Because let's think of it this way. 
There is a philosopher's stone, as it were, this uh, whole idea of alchemy. Remember, the, the alchemists wanted to, to turn and to transmute uh, lead into gold, and they're right next to each other in the periodic ta table of the elements, <laughs> but you'll never, yeah. you'll never get them from one to the other. Uh, and so, but here there is such a philosopher's stone, and it is the grace of God, and so that formula after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory. There we are. So the, it, the, the alchemy of grace transmutes the lead of our suffering into the gold of glory. Yeah, that's, that, that's excellent, Ken. Now, it's interesting because we know that, you know, suffering, no one is exempt from suffering, right? I mean, suffering is going to come. And yet so often um, it seems we're surprised when we are suffering ourselves. And yes, indeed. Right. So I was wondering, Ken, could you talk to a little bit um, from the perspective of, of ministers and pastors who find times um, in their their lives or seasons where they're going through intense challenges or, or times of loss and times of suffering? And it's one of those things where it's like, man, we're, we're being faithful. We're honoring God. We're, you know, doing uh, his work in, in our world. And yet we are we are facing these challenging times. Can you talk a little bit about you know what 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 do we do? How do we process through those as those who are serving a God in His church? Yes, well, it's the realization. There are several uh, principles that we have to take in uh, under uh, into account. That is to say, the more serious we are in the ways of the kingdom of God the more we can anticipate pushback, spiritual warfare. Uh, as, I, as I put it, we are born and born again into a world at war. And so essentially, spiritual the spiritual life must be construed. I use the analogy of a downward escalator. And uh, I remember as a kid wanting to go up the downward escalator. How fast can I go? But you know there's no point of neutrality. As soon as you start going up, you're going down. And so at the end of the day, um, what we have then is a, is a choice because of the world, the flesh, the devil pulling us down. So when we get serious as God's agents of grace, the uh, pushback becomes intense. So we should not be surprised at the fire. This is the point of Paul's uh, Peter. Beloved, 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But then he goes on to say, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled in it for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So the text is in, encouraging us to see, just as our Lord told you, in this world, you will have mm -hmm. affliction. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right. And so understand then that we have a guarantee uh, that we're going to have adversity. So let us then embrace the perspective that God will, as I said before, redeem what he allows. He's going to leverage that pain into, into glory. And so one of the things that I, I, I ask audiences, and this, this is something I'd like the pastors to try in their own congregations, mm -hmm. um, ask, consider asking your congregation uh, this, the following questions. What do you most admire in men and women of heroic character? There's quality, something about them that you admire them. You look up to them. That's why they're heroes. And whenever, whether they're ancient or medieval or modern or whatever, in the scriptures or not, and it's always going to be the same array of answers. What do we admire? 
we're going to say, they, someone will say patience, another will say integrity, another will say humility, another courage, another perseverance. We could stop there just at that point. That's a universal, they'll always say those kinds of things and more. Now, here's the question I want the pastors to ask their congregation. You've noticed that you admire those qualities. You look up to such people. You want to be like them. Now, may, may I ask you this question? Are any of those qualities you most admire forged in times of ease? Hmm. Not a one, never a one. It is, in fact, it is the grace of God so that if you could look at the crucible of adversity, we well know then that the ore, whether gold or silver, has to be purified before it is useful. It has to be refined. And so the dross rises to the surface and the hotter uh, the, the fire, the more that rises, it's skimmed off. And we all have heard the metaphor of the gold or silver smith beholding his face in the molten metal. And so at the end of the day, it's designed to take the dross away, never complete in this life, but we're being shaped into the into conformity with the people that God always wanted us to be. And to, that is to become like Christ. And there's no other way of doing it, to have those qualities than, than that process. Yeah, Ken, one of the things, I love that, and that kind of leads into to this kind of next piece. One of the things I really appreciated um, in the book was the chapter that you had um, that you guys wrote entitled Preparing to Suffer. And it, it struck me because it was one of those things, again, we know suffering will occur at some point, but um, how how often, you know, I was even reflecting myself, you know, uh, Jason, how often have you actually been preparing to suffer so that when suffering does come, you're not just reacting, but you're, um, you know, allowing God to help you navigate that. So can you take some time and talk to, talk to us about this entire idea of preparing to suffer and what does that look like and what is the benefit whenever we actually make the time to prepare ourselves for the suffering that will inevitably come? Yes. I think, again, it is the cultivation of an eternal perspective in this temporal arena. I know no substitute for that because, and that, uh, may I contextualize this then, if I can, as with the first two books in this trilogy, yes. because really InterVarsity Press uh, it turned into a, a trilogy. We didn't know it would, I didn't even know there'd be a second. The very first book was called um, rewriting your broken story that was and really the question is how do you fix a broken story and who of us does not have one every one of us in the fallen world has broken and dashed hopes and dreams and pains and things that might have been and so forth misconstruals that's the stuff of the conflict of life that's the narrative uh, of life that uh, and we are in though a divine comedy it's a comedy because it ends well and so if we consider the first act which was creation the second of fall the third redemption and then the fourth of the new creation in which all is well we are bookended in the greatest story ever told. And so I tell people the way, the only way you can fix a broken story is to embed your little story in the big, greatest story ever told. Mm. And your story will matter. Even if others don't notice it, you have been given the dignity of participation and you're playing more and more to an audience of one. Then everything you do, there's no little people, places, or, or, or times. Everything can be done. You can take out the garbage to the glory of God. In other words, every little thing, fidelity in the small things, even when others don't notice, matters. And so that's the first book, really, was How Do You Fix a Broken Story? And the subtitle of that was The Power of an Eternal Perspective. 
Now, the second book, then, I began to teach through the idea of, a, of, a, of, of paradigm spirituality, which is facet two in my book, Conformed to His Image. It has to do with an eternal, uh, what's your point of view? How do you, what's your paradigm of the world? And so, for example, we have, a, uh, as you know, the Ptolemaic perspective was a geocentric world in which the sun and the moon and the planets went around Earth. And we then saw a Copernican perspective occur in, that, in the 15th century, and suddenly we realized, wait a minute, no, it's not that way at all. It's the Earth is going around the sun. And so that was a heliocentric. We all need to go from an egocentric to a Christocentric, to a theocentric world. Mm. So we have to see the world's never been about us. And so if I had to summarize the Bible in one sentence, it might be this, I'm God and you're not. Mm. So we have to recognize it's not about you never has been, but God says, I'm giving you the dignity and privilege of participation in a story that will last forever. You want in, because if you don't want to participate, you see, I have others. You can't contribute a thing to, the, to God, but he can, he's given us the dignity of participation, but he's not going to wring his hands if we, if we decline. So God is at work crafting something that's extraordinary beyond our imagination. And if we want to be participants in that, we have to see it. So that's really, uh, so the second book turned out to be called Life in the Presence of God. And that was practices uh, for living in light of eternity. And that's talking about what it means to practice God's presence in all times and all things. And then after that, that led then to this third one that dealt with, okay, this issue then, as we go through this earthbound sojourn and our pains and adversities, how are we shaped? How is God conforming us into the glory of God so that it's not just a negative thing, there's a bigger picture. So in all three instances, you've got to have an eternal perspective to, to navigate in this temporal arena. Yeah, that, that's excellent. And so, for when it comes to preparing ourselves for suffering, mm -hmm. is is it really just the focusing on that eternal perspective? Is that what's what it you, you kind of provides yes. the key? Yeah, I would say when, when I'm talking about practicing and focusing that in that eternal perspective, what is biblically, what is normal biblically, is uh, is atypical in the experience of the church. Mm. So the church, what what true what the true picture is is I can just demonstrate even if a person has a daily encounter with the word of god and it's only a tiny fraction of people who do but even if they have that daily encounter what do they do the rest of the day and most people haven't thought it through yet the scriptures tell us rejoice always pray without ceasing and everything gives thanks it tells us whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to him to god the father it tells us to abide in christ it tells us to walk by the by the spirit stop there there are many others you don't just do that in the morning, little here in the evening. I don't love my, my God in the morning and maybe my neighbor in the afternoon. You, if this is an ongoing process that involves every word and deed, every thought must be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. So now we realize it's an immersive condition. But the problem is that we're all amphibious beings. You and I are eternal beings who are having this earthbound embodied experience. Mm. And as such, then we have to grasp the brevity and, and the pre of the precious present so that we recognize that every day is a gift. And we only have two days in our calendar today and that day to living to this day is all I've got. 
And that day, living today in light of the day when I'll stand before the king. So if I live that way, I'm maximizing the opportunities of the present now and looking for those Kairos moments as opposed to the Kronos that we plan in our calendars. I claim that God's the invisible master of ceremonies who orders people together and gives us opportunities which will often be construed as invitations, uh, as interruptions, but they're actually invitations. Mm. They're invitations. And if we don't manage our time with that in mind and recognize, wait, I don't have to be in a hurry. Was Jesus ever in a hurry to do the will of God? Never, never. Mm. So this meant then when he would be interrupted, when there'd be pain, when there'd be problems, it would be an invitation for him then to look um, to what the Lord and to develop and to grow in that process. So as we take our eyes off ourselves and fix them on Christ, then now we become true players in this world at war and we become agents of grace in this, in this world. And so that everything we do does matter. And so even if we're not known, even if people don't recognize us, what we do will matter before the living God. If we were given an opportunity to spend 80 years on this planet as as, uh, agents of the kingdom of God, that is to say, we're pilgrims, strangers, wayfarers, exiles, sojourners, wanderers, all those metaphors for the brevity of this earthbound sojourn. And if during that sojourn we experienced more than our threescore years and ten, but as Moses said, if due to strength, 80 years in Psalm 90, but the wisdom is always teaching us to number our days that we may present to God a heart of wisdom. So that the wisdom of doing so would be to embed this day and only have two days in my calendar, uh, this day, which is really all I ever have. And then, and that day, the day when I will stand before the wellspring of truth, goodness, and beauty of the Lord Jesus. And so if, and this thought experiment, imagine you were to have gone through 80 years of a difficult, painful, hard life for various reasons. And having gone through that, then you are ushered into the presence of God, and there you see him and recognize that's the one you were wanting all along. And then discovered then he, after an hour of that presence, that's ineffable and and, and an immersion in that glorious presence, he would then just say, now, would you be willing to go back to this earth for another 80 years of adversity so that you could enjoy another hour with me? And we wouldn't even hesitate. But I claim instead that the 80 years that we call a, a huge time, it says nothing at all in comparison with the glory of what we'll see because the hours forever in 80 years becomes more and more remote and distant as the years even go by in our own life. So we are sojourners, pilgrims, and we see that we are also amphibious beings. As I said earlier, uh, we are spiritual beings having and experiencing an earthbound embodied experience in the soul-forming world to prepare us for our eternal citizenship in the kingdom of God. So that it's not this, this life, then, is not a living room. It's a workout place. It's a place for preparing us. It's, um, it, is work, it is a labor, then. So we must understand, then, we are here to be soldiers and agents of the king, and therefore, the more serious we get, the more opposition you can count on, as Peter makes very clear when he told his readers, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you. So given that perspective... And and this other perspective I'd like to use to amplify it, it's this. If 
if we did another thought experiment, you've all heard, I mean, you've, people have all heard the idea of the tapestry, and I'm sure a lot of the pastors have used that, where God is working on the tapestry of our lives, and he sees the top, and only and from our earthbound perspective, as in agents in this world, we see tangled uh, and discordant threads. And then we use the metaphor when we stand before Jesus, he turns the tapestry and shows heaven's view for the first time. I would add this to that metaphor. I, I suppose and believe that the most beautiful actual patterns that were woven into that tapestry will have been forged in the times of our greatest earthbound pain mm. and adversity, because it's our pain that crafts our ministry, even on our lives and this earth, because as Second Corinthians 1 make, makes very clear that we are called to comfort others with the comfort with which we've been comforted, so that it is our pain that shapes our ministry. So now it is actually a thing that is seen as a higher joy, a higher good, a higher realm. So it is that eternal perspective that contextualizes this earthbound adversity. Yeah, it's so good, Ken. Thank you for inviting us into that eternal perspective, because so often when we're in the daily grind, right, it's it's hard. We have, yes, to, yes. We have to be intentional, is, right, to step back and to, to, to look at yes. that. So I, I tell people it's not about trying, it's about trusting, and, and about training, rather, you see. It's, it's not trying, it's training. And you're habituating practices that will actually shape you so that after a while you become increasingly spring-loaded toward the spirit. And so that the, after a while, then you have a kind of a spiritual muscle memory and so forth. There's so, much, so many different angles one can take metaphorically. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. It was so good to have you with us on the podcast. We certainly appreciate um, you making the time to be with us. And we're thankful for uh, this new book that you and Jenny Abel have uh, have put together, Shaped by Suffering from IV Press. So thank you. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast, and if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.